0: The Crisis Next Door, a weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world, with host Jason Brooks. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Libya's future has been in question since the fall of Muammar Gaddafi in 2011, and a civil war for control of the country has raged since a rebel offensive was launched last spring. A tenuous ceasefire hopes to end the bloodshed, but there are doubts it will hold for long. Joining The Crisis Next Door to talk about Libya's present and future is Claudia Gazzini, the International Crisis Group's senior analyst for Libya. Between late 2017 and early 2018, Gazzini served as policy advisor to Ghassan Salome, special representative and head of the UN support mission in Libya. Claudia, thank you for joining The Crisis Next Door.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: A fragile ceasefire began in Libya Sunday, put together by German Chancellor Angela Merkel and Russian President Vladimir Putin. Merkel's office says Germany will host a Libya peace conference in Berlin on Sunday. How much influence do Merkel and Putin have over Libya's warring sides? And what hopes do you have for this peace conference bearing fruit?
1: Well, actually, the the dynamics that led to the ceasefire are a little bit more complex than a binary uh, German-Russian initiative. Actually, it all started off uh, on the 8th of January when uh, the margins of Putin's visit to Turkey, uh, jointly uh, Turkey's President Erdogan and uh, Putin called on Libyan partners to adhere to a ceasefire starting on the 12th of January. Now, this, uh, uh, this call for a ceasefire was largely unprepared and unexpected, meaning that neither uh, Erdogan nor Portin had contacted their uh, Libyan counterparts to, um, ask them about this, but too much. Of oh, our surprise, uh, both the Tripoli-based government, which is allied with Turkey, and the forces of uh, Field Marshal Haftar, which is uh, more militarily allied to Russia, uh, adhered to this ceasefire. So actually on the 12th of January, for the first time in many months, there was no bombing, no aerial strikes, and very little fighting actually on the ground. Now uh the subsequent day on on Monday January the 13th uh Putin took the initiative in coordination with the Turks again of inviting uh of inviting um uh the heads of the two camps in Libya so Prime Minister Fayez Sarraj who heads the Tripoli based government and Field Marshal Haftar each with their own delegation to Moscow. Now Putin and uh, uh his Turkish counterparts were Hoping that these two leaders and the delegations would sign a ceasefire agreement. So, and actually formalize the call for a ceasefire they had made previously. Uh, it actually didn't work out. Uh, the Tripoli-based government signed a very slim document, a seven-point agreement on the ceasefire, and accepted all everything that was being proposed uh, by the Turks and the Russians. Uh, the field marshal came to, came to Moscow and decided not to sign on to the deal and left. Both delegations left uh, Monday night and uh, without meeting each other and without actually having a deal. And there were no further attempts, actually, to try to broker something that was acceptable to both sides. Now, where does Germany fit in all of this? Germany didn't have a direct role in the initial call for a ceasefire and didn't, uh, was not, you know, Merkel was not even president in Moscow, but it did sort of exercise an influence both on Turkey and on Russia in promoting the idea of them taking the lead in this. And more specifically, uh, where Merkel did play a significant role is ensuring that the deal that was put on the table in Moscow uh, actually reflected uh, what the preparatory meetings for this Berlin conference that Germany hopes to hold at the end of this week to ensure that what was already prepared ahead of the Berlin conference was actually translated on the document that was put on the table in Moscow. So the ceasefire agreement, has, in many of its points, uh, does just project what uh, Berlin and a number of European states and other foreign states had previously agreed upon should be the path ahead. But the question now is... Uh oh what's going to happen in Berlin this week and uh given that we don't have a signed ceasefire uh, agreement. Um Uh, Of course, Germany was hoping that the deal would be secured and that we would have a formal ceasefire agreement by now and went ahead in sending out invitations for this conference, which had already been postponed many times in the past because of failure to reach an agreement and failure to bring on board the foreign actors but still there's an attempt too to move forward with this uh it's hard to say now if uh, if they will succeed certainly it'll be a show of International support to the idea of a ceasefire, but whether they are able to leverage major influence on the foreign backers of the two sides to de escalate their involvement in Libya or change the position of Haftar or find a, a more um, accommodating middle ground between the two factions is hard to tell.
0: It seems like Haftar does have some momentum, his Libyan national army capturing Sirte, although continuing to struggle to take Tripoli. How important is cert for Haftar and might his momentum in the battlefield make him less accepting of a ceasefire at this time?
1: Uh, well, certainly, uh, the the capture of Sirte is a symbolic and a strategic gain for Haftar. Symbolic because it's a, um, a former Gaddafi stronghold. Uh, the fact that Haftar moved in there uh, created or reinforced, let's say, the bond between him and uh, former regime personalities and constituencies uh, that are in his camp. And in fact, we've seen some uh, senior former regime individuals come out on TV and radio in the past few days, expressing a much more verbal and strong support for Haftar than they ever had in the past. Uh, It's also a strategic base because Sirte has um, an important air base. Uh, And um, I think uh, what uh, Haftar military officials will try to do, is to use this base in order to um, prepare for a future advance towards uh, Misrata. In first in first instance, Misrata is a, a city in western Libya that is um, a stronghold of uh, pro-Tripoli uh, government um, armed groups, and is. Uh, declared enemy of Haftar. So yes, there is a potential that the takeover of Sirte will, uh, will sort of rekindle the idea that the offensive needs to continue. But uh, the question is, can they? Uh, or rather, can they? But at uh, what cost? Because uh, nine months of war in Tripoli has allowed Haftar forces to Enter the outskirts of the city, or rather the periphery, consolidate their presence there, but they have not managed to actually reach the city center. They remain confident that they can, thanks to uh, the air cover provided by um, other Arab states, including the u a e uh, and remain confident that uh, the popular support is on their side one uh, you know one has to also say that what uh, plays in Haftar's favour in the current uh, very complicated scene in Libya is the fact that Turkey only in uh, early January approved the deployment of its forces to Libya in support of the Tripoli-based government. Now, Tripoli... and Turkey have a long history uh, together. Uh, Turks and the Ottomans were were in North Africa and controlled Libya more than a century ago. So the return of Turkey to North Africa is something that Arab tribes in Libya fear greatly, and not only them, even other regional Arab states do not like and vehemently oppose the return of Turkish forces. Be it just military advisors or actual fighting forces in Libya. So what we've seen in the last few weeks is also a wave of renewed and rekindled Arab nationalism and this has played in Haftar's favor, which is now uh, who is now drumming uh, you know the 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 idea of needing to oppose uh, Turkish influence and and contain the arrival of Turkish forces in Libya so militarily it'll be it's an open question whether he will be able to advance whether he still has the military support that his uh, outside backers have but certainly there is a a new a new momentum which is a rapidly changing uh, momentum in libya
0: egypt condemned the turkish parliament's decision saying that turkish military interference in libya threatens arab national security in general and egyptian national security in particular Is there more than old Ottoman Empire fears resurfacing here? Why does Egypt fear Turkey's involvement so much in Libya?
1: See, I mean, Egypt is part of an axis of Arab countries that also includes the UAE and Saudi Arabia that uh, for years now have expressed opposition to to Turkey's sort of idea of revamping neo-colonial, uh, sorry, neo-Ottoman aspirations uh, in the region, uh, Turkey sees itself as a leader uh, of the Muslim world, or aspires to see itself as a leader of the of of the Muslim world, which in which implicitly questions the leadership of Arab states such as Saudi Arabia uh, as as the bearer and the defender uh of the Muslim nation. So there is this you know latent uh historical animosity. But of course, in the case of Egypt, aside from this, there is, um, there is a, a major rift with Turkey, which Egypt accuses of supporting the Muslim Brotherhood. And as, as we all know, uh, Cairo is vehemently opposed to, uh, to uh, allowing uh, members of the Muslim Brotherhood in the political sphere. And Egypt, therefore, accuses Turkey of also promoting Muslim Brotherhood abroad, not least uh, in Libya. But there's a third level. Of, uh, of confrontation and that's on energy the, the reason why Cairo in, in recent weeks is uh, most vocal against uh, Ankara is the fact that um, uh, Egypt supports uh, an Eastern Mediterranean gas deal that envisages the building of a gas pipeline from Eastern Mediterranean, namely around Cyprus, um, across and into Greece and from there to, to Europe. This is a, a new development that has been going on for several years, which Egypt, along with, um, Cyprus, Greece, uh, Israel, but also U.S., Italy, France, uh, have been developing. Now, uh, in December, Turkey signed a deal with Libya, with the Tripoli-based government, which is aimed at foiling attempts to build this gas p- pipeline. Essentially, Ankara secured Tripoli's signature on a new maritime delimitation agreement, which establishes economic, um, uh, exclusive economic zones on the sea uh, between Turkey and Libya practically cuts off a slice of the Mediterranean and says half of it is uh, Libya's exclusive economic uh, interests, and the other half is Turkey, thereby interrupting potentially future construction of the pipeline. This has irked Egypt and not only Egypt and is another further and very important reason why we're hearing um, turkish uh, condemnations of turkish interventionism in the mediterranean
0: you're listening to the crisis next door i'm jason brooks and we're talking about libya's civil war with claudia gazini the International Crisis Group's senior analyst for Libya. It seems like Turkey has its hands full, from the uh, energy exploration in the Mediterranean to its incursion into northern Syria. Is Erdogan biting off more than he can chew in Libya?
1: Turkey, in certain sense, is uh, sees that it's as its strategic interest to. Uh, to keep alive the Tripoli-based government because it sees its energy interests in in the eastern Mediterranean as vital. Um, yes, of course, uh, northern Syria is uh, a clear strategic interest, a military interest uh, for Turkey. In the big picture of things, uh, Turkey's interest uh, in safeguarding uh, its position in the eastern Mediterranean is essential. Uh, Turkey sees uh, sees itself as being a player in the eastern Mediterranean. It wants a seat in the gas deal uh, over the eastern Mediterranean. And I think these are extremely long-term interests that Ankara is trying to capitalize on. And in that sense, Its um, alliance with the Tripoli government serves this purpose. Uh, Saving the Tripoli-based government helps save or consolidate the deal over the Mediterranean, uh, which Turkey hopes to use in its favor.
0: You mentioned Egypt's opposition to Turkey's support of the Muslim Brotherhood. How important is the role of Islamism in Libya's civil war? And is this a situation that the Islamic State is trying to exploit in some regard?
1: The Libyan Islamist scene is a very divided one, like. Like in other, in other Muslim countries, of course, uh, we have um, uh, members of uh, groups that are sanctioned by, by the UN, uh, terrorist groups. Uh, there are uh, still some elements of the Islamic State uh, in Libya. We must remember that only until two years, three years ago, the Islamic State actually had its uh, a stronghold in the very city of Sirte that now Haftar to Control of, uh, and but there are still some elements, uh, some rogue elements in southern Libya and uh, in hiding, presumably. Then we have another group of Al Qaeda-affiliated fighters. Uh, called Ansar Sharia. Many of them were killed over the past few years. But again, there are some elements uh, sympathetic to this brand of thought. Uh, also within the Tripoli-based uh, uh, armed groups, of course they are a minority. Uh, the problem is that some of these elements uh, voice opposition to Haftar. And in this sense, they are close to uh, other armed groups and fighters and individuals who do not necessarily or at all espouse a radical view of Islam and of the world, uh, but share this common uh, hatred and uh, and vow to uh, stop uh, stop Haftar, so they are united in their anti-Haftar outlook. And this creates some les- some ambiguities. And this is also this these ambiguities are also used by Haftar to accuse. Very much using one brushstroke to describe all, to use you know to accuse these armed groups in Tripoli as being terrorists for the simple fact of being uh, anti-Haftar. Um, then we have the Muslim Brotherhood, of course, which, uh, like the groups I just mentioned before, uh, have. Uh, have uh, in Libya uh, expressed extreme opposition to Haftar, again, bow to to, uh, to undermine what they see as his attempt to um, create a military coup or to have a military coup in Libya and a return to dictatorship. Um, Muslim Brotherhood, uh, has an influence within the Tripoli government and uh, does have an, an influence in, in, Western, in Western Libya. They are a reality, we cannot uh, deny that. But they are, uh, in, in terms of numbers, uh, relatively little and in no way comparable to, to the numbers that we see in Egypt or, or other countries. Um, but uh, But again... Where where the problem uh, arises, and where their mobilization affects the dynamics in Libya, is in uh, is in prompting uh, uh, a un a union of forces that goes from moderate nationalists that are simply you know simply um opposed to a return to the dictatorship of people that uphold the ideals of the 2011 revolution. And all the way, uh, bridging out to more radical Islamist elements. And I think this is where, uh, where issues need to resol- be resolved within that camp.
0: The death toll and destruction in Libya are mounting. The UN puts the death toll at at least 2,200. What's day-to-day life like for the average Libyan? Food shortages, shelter issues. Uh, what is life like for people in Libya at the moment?
1: Well we have to distinguish between Tripoli where most of the fighting uh, is occurring and the rest of the country uh the over the line past nine months Tripoli has witnessed day to day aerial bombardments uh, mainly by armed drones occasionally jet fighters as well uh, in the peripheral area uh farms uh, houses um, uh, schools um, have been affected by, by this bombing. Uh, mainly what is targeted are military installations, but every now and then you have your odd airstrike that targets, um, an equestrian club or a house. Uh, and therefore as a result of this we've seen uh, increasing numbers of displaced uh, 200,000 displaced from uh, the suburbs of Tripoli this has meant that schools also have been closed, there are about 200 schools that are now closed and uh, electricity shortages water shortages remain commonplace Uh, that said in some parts of Tripoli life goes on, people go to cafes uh, drive around go out whilst uh, in, in in the background you hear these airstrikes so Tripoli has been uh, most uh, most affected uh, by the fighting in uh, uh, in other cities also controlled by the GNA you have uh, occasional airstrikes and um, But in the rest of Libya, in Eastern Libya, which is controlled by Haftar, uh, life goes on uh, very normally. And in this, uh, and in this sense, one can also understand why there's a difference of views over the war in the East, where where Haftar it has its base. People are not affected by the war, not at least not this war, and therefore they seem to be also uh, cheering on a continued offensive. And in Tripoli, uh, where families uh that were leading a normal life until relatively recently have seen their sons being killed uh their children in many cases uh die by sharpnel fire or uh, uh misplaced airstrike uh there is more uh keenness to to stop the war but on condition that uh, uh that Haftar be stopped from entering the city so daily life is uh is grim uh in in tripoli but in in libya as a whole the the crisis the economic crisis of the past few years the destruction of various rounds of fighting in the past Uh, let's not forget there were various uh, short wars in libya's um, last uh, six years Uh, all of this has uh, significantly undermined how uh, people people live
0: we have a ceasefire to start out in libya in 2020 claudia uh, what are your hopes for the year ahead in Libya? Do you think that there is an earnest chance at peace for the country?
1: Twenty twenty actually started with a very fast-paced series of events. Ceasefire was just the latest in a week of uh, uh, of dramatic turn of events, which included. Turkish authorization to to intervene, uh, Haftar's takeover, cert as we mentioned, and then the ceasefire. So if the beginning of 2020 is in any way an omen for what the year uh, prepares for us, we can just say that it's a, a year of uh, many uh, jumps and hoops, and it'll be a fast-paced uh, year for the region and for Libya. There's no guarantee that 2020 will bring about a, a ceasefire. I personally very much hope so, uh, because I have friends and on both sides of the divide and, and uh, feel strongly about the the need of a st- more stable and uh, prosperous, uh, prosperous Libya. Uh, but uh, in the short term, given the polarization of views in the country given the level of uh, major foreign involvement in the crisis and the continued flow of weapons and foreign fighters and mercenaries and the interests that are at stake and in the intersecting geopolitical rivalries of all the countries involved i think the chances of bringing peace in libya in libya uh, bringing peace to libya this year remain relatively dim.
0: A very sobering thought. Claudia, thank you very much for joining us here on The Crisis Next Door.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: We've been joined by Claudia Gazzini, the International Crisis Group's Senior Analyst for Libya. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at TCNDpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's TCNDpodcast at kcbsradio.com